This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Sean? Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Jake. Colin, glad to be here. Yep. So Sean is the CEO or managing director, head chief boss man over at Innovate Energy. Tell us a little bit about what you do over there at Innovate Energy. Sure. I think the only thing you missed in the title is bottle washer. Bottle, so, oh, bottle yeah, washer. Chief, chief bottle washer. Right, <laughs> right up there. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, Innovate Energy primarily is media resource company. And what we do is online and in person bring together these communities. Primarily, it's focused on digital innovation and technology in energy. So oil and gas, petrochem, chemical, and utilities. So if there's a new innovative technology that's kind of erupting or people need to know about it from the energy engineering company side or their startups who need to be able to connect with people, that's what we do. Very cool. Okay. It's actually funny when I met Sean is when we had the first happy hour here at TechSpace. We just moved the happy hour over okay. to TechSpace and I saw him and I was talking to him and he told me about what he did. I was like, well, damn, that's exactly what I'm interested in is the, the intersection of emerging technology and oil and gas. And Sean has an office up here at a tech space. And I think he just showed up for the free sandwiches. I don't think he gave a damn about <laughs> the happy it. hour. Yeah. Beer and free sandwiches. That's, and I was like, okay, well, we're yeah, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, yeah. We, should, we should go up and look. Yeah. So it was uh, funny when he was talking about that because that's exactly, you know, what Jake and I are focused on. And it's really cool to, especially you've got a big interest in drones. So that's what you're always talking about is drones. So drones. tell us, I think, yeah. I think uh, you guys had actually just had your drone conference, right? And had a big turnout for it. Why don't you tell us? A we're not bit talking about, about Mavic Pros, right? We're talking about these gigantic industrial, like car size. Hey, look, drones. I got a Mavic Pro and it's an awesome drone. So don't <laughs> take is. a shot at no it. Doubt. No <laughs> doubt. It, it really runs the gamut. It's kind of interesting because you know, drones and UAVs for us is about a two year old community. So we started that a couple years ago. And I started with just social channels. Then we got into, you know, dropping a newsletter once a month and a couple times a month. Readership started to go up. And now it's, I think, almost 12,000 globally with wow. energy companies, engineering, UAV leaders. And the drones, I mean, they're flying DJIs and, you know, a DJI Mavic might be something they're flying all the way up to stuff that used to be Department of Defense. When yeah. you think of a drone from that standpoint with a fixed wing that can go really far for a lot longer airtime. So it runs yeah. the gamut between them. So the adoption rate, though, has really significantly increased over the last couple of years. It's super exciting to watch it and to see all the different uses that they have now that they didn't have before. So initially, it was a lot of photogrammetry, taking pictures, things like that that you would expect, some video. And now you're seeing methane detection. You're seeing AI-enabled flights where they're you know, able to scrub and look at that data a lot faster without an independent inspector having to do that as a human. So it's really exciting. Someone, someone was telling me yesterday I had lunch with someone, and they told me that about a company that the CEO was a former astronaut, and I think they're based out of Austin now, and they use drones for methane detection. And it's a really, really big market, even at the, that Elite Meet event. They were talking yeah. a lot about drone usage in oil and gas. So what was kind of uh, some of the takeaways that you saw from that event? Actually, how, how was that conference structured? Did you have the, the, the drone companies up there talking about their services? Kind of tell us a little bit more. Anybody, about anybody actually fly drones? Yeah, they actually did. Oh, we nice. had the drone zone. 
Missed so, hey, when, when's your next? Drones. When's your next drone event? I need to so, come to it. Yeah, next year. <laughs> next year. Okay. Yeah, All right. Up, uh, we had to move up to the woodlands. We ran out of space. We were at the Royal Senest for the past two years. Okay. And we had too many drones. Too many so, drones. Yeah, <laughs> drone grew. capacity was so next yeah, up. but it's doubled each year. We we launched it two years ago, and we had about thirty companies showing their drones and a few robots for non-aerial ground and surface and subsea. And then last year, it jumped up to about almost 90 companies. We had them out in the foyer and all over the place. And a little over 800 people came to attend. So it's it's really blown up as far as the number of people who are going and who are interested. And the other thing is you're seeing the biggest difference is they're moving from kind of a test case, you know, where they're just doing use cases a couple of years ago, 18 months ago, to now they're actually flying at enterprise level in some cases where they're flying, you know, a few dozen flights every month. That drone conference, is it focused on flying drones or drones of any application? Because, you know, like companies like BP are using the drones for subsea purposes. Yeah, great. Yeah, you know, actually, BP is one of our corporate sponsors. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Shout Colin. out to BP. Appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, they, their uh, head of innovation, Dave Truche, spoke at this last one. It was fantastic, as did George Williamson. So BP shared some really neat stuff that they're doing, but it actually covers the whole spectrum. So we actually have Energy Drone Coalition, which is aerial drones, which covers everything from right off the ground up to satellites, which is where a lot of drone technology is headed. And then we also have Energy Robotics and AI Network, and they meet together. Okay. So they're both there at the same time. And the robotics and AI is where we get into ground and we get into surface of the water and subsea. Okay. So that covers the rest of it. So between the two, it covers the whole spectrum. So I'm going to preface this by saying that I love drones and I'm excited about the technology and the direction that it's going. Through my experience, I had we, we've known multiple people who've started drone companies, especially in oil and gas. I had a good buddy of mine. He, he'd been in oil and gas in the past and he got really into drones and he was like, hey, let's just go halves on this company. Just find me a product market fit. And so I did all this research and we, we came to find out you know, he was wanting to do inspections on pipelines. And then I had another buddy who is literally... He used to be the, what do they call it? Like the right-of-way pilot. So he used to fly over the, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and then he went to work for a satellite, satellite company. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, we can cover, you know, 3,600 miles in a day and with like 16 different lenses and detect anything. And he was like, the downfall that you have with the drones today is that we don't have the battery capacity and you also have to have line of sight due to some of the regulations. But I think you know way more about drones than I do. So how how are people addressing these issues and where do you see drone usage? Is it maybe a different use case? Maybe we're looking more towards inspections and maybe close quarters type things or? Yeah, so there's multiple, but you're right on. Actually, Jake, you're not far off at all. I mean, you that is the issue is that flight time, yeah. payload, how much they can, can they carry, yep. which reduces, of course, the flight time. And then that beyond visual line of sight or BVLOS. I mean, that, and that came up a ton in the conference this year. Yeah. So here's the exciting part. BVLOS in the United States, FAA is starting to grant waivers. Okay. So that's exciting. It takes a lot. It mm. is not easy. I'm sure. But if you do it with the right uh, that safety ter- case. What's that term that you're using? BVLOS? BVLOS, beyond okay. visual line of sight. Okay. So in order to go beyond where the naked eye can see, mm-hmm. you know, in essence, which is really where you can get in a lot of the linear infrastructure, pipelines, doing a serious amount of wells in the Permian, yeah. you know, that's where the advantage really is versus a manned flight, which costs a heck of a lot more. So the advantage is there. So the, I'd say, A, it's coming that they're starting to go to the BVLOS or BVLOS. The other one that you're starting to see become a little bit more exciting is within the plant or in that close-in scenario, automated. 
So that's something that's just over the horizon as well, where you're not going to need necessarily a pilot, mm -hmm. but it's also where a pilot can maybe operate multiple. So similar to rig automation, some mm -hmm. of the things that are going on there where you don't have to have someone on the rig per se, you could have somebody with a control screen operating several of these. Mm -hmm. Same type of thing is that. I would that imagine drones. that you could put in like GPS coordinates and have it just track along it's that. Geofence. If you have the weight. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It has yeah. sense in a void. So you have some opportunities there. Third I mean, one is like, uh, just, inside, internal. So inside mm. boilers, inside of, yeah. you know, think of just so many different places that are internal inspections. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have any FAA requirements. You own it. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity there for internal inspections that you're seeing and everything from nuclear to oil and gas within the boilers at a pet chem or a cracker. You know, you need, you've got a lot of opportunity. And just there. think about even like your consumer drones, like the Mavic Pro, you know, you take that drone out of the box and just the technology on it, just for someone like myself that had never flown a drone and you can just pull it out of the box, fly it. You know, it's got GPS enabled Stability on it. Uh, it can't like, run. It can't run into anything. Like I'll try to run it into things, and yeah. you know, it's got it's got the sensors. And you just think that t technology on a commercial application would be nothing to set in GPS coordinates and have it run these run these routes of pipelines or anything. And imagine like that, it even so. crazier. I know this is a little bit in the future, but we've seen it with I think it was one of the last Olympics. They had like this army of drones that presented mm -hmm. lights and stuff. But imagine if you were using that for a business case where you had this just this army of drones that are all communicating very very quickly, going in and it's all automated and. There's a lot of cool things that you could do with that. The robots are coming to take over. By far, Swarm is definitely a technology yeah. that people are playing both underwater drones and aerial. Underwater drones. These swarms. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about like little submarines? Well, that's what yeah, I was saying. That's basically. what I was saying. BP's already using them out in the Gulf yeah. of Mexico, subsea drones for their inspections. Yeah, that's funny. You always think of like drones being, you know, like aerial drones, but you only think of like underwater drones. Yeah. If you think about it, drones and robots are kind yeah. of interchangeable. That's why yeah. our two communities kind of cross over yeah. between robotics, AI, and the drone you UAV, yeah, because it can be. If you think about it, everywhere from up in the satellite all the way There's down, a big, big to spectrum of what of that ocean. could mean. Yeah. Okay. So, Sean, I got to know a little bit about your background, man. <laughs> how did you How did you get involved in this space of technology and oil and gas? Did you come from an oil and gas background? Did you come from a technology background? Just kind of give us your life story and tell us how you got involved with all this. Sure. How long do you have? <laughs> we got we got enough time. No worries. Keep it keep it brief. So started originally oil brat. My dad was Exxon Mobil. Okay. So traveled the world and he worked for them. Ended up in Houston. So I've been in Houston almost all my whole life. And pretty quickly after I got out of college, I had a fraternity brother worked with an oil and gas magazine, and he got me into ad sales and booth sales. Okay. And that's really where I started was so getting involved. Started with that media, media. oil okay. and gas. So that was my. It was background. like what Penwell, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember so we talked about that. Was that. Penwell, oh, you're at Penwell. Okay, yeah. okay. I didn't know that. Right that's awesome. College. Okay, so that's where I started, <laughs> and had a great experience. And after about seven years, kind of do, building a variety of different brands, decided to jump out on my own, start my own company. And I was you know young enough to figure I could recover from it, mm -hmm. and you know young <laughs> enough to think I knew better and. Went ahead and <laughs> cashed in the 401k. Awesome. And started a media company where we covered power, chemical, oil and gas, more traditional media. We had magazines, trade shows, and obviously started digital as well. And so that company we had for myself and two partners, we had that for 10 years and then sold to private equity. Okay. And they bought it out, and I ran it another five years for them, kind of multiplying 
the business in order to grow it. We added a lot of, did a lot of M&A in that time period and then broke out just a few years ago again and go back in the garage and <laughs> going back things. at it. Yeah. Oh, I love it, man. I You're didn't know. You're glutton for punchment, huh? Exactly. Sean can't sit around at the house. He's got <laughs> to go through the gauntlet again. Right. That's awesome. I actually yeah. didn't know about the previous acquisition and everything. So that, that's great. So Moving, you know, kind of forward with with media, you know, you, you started out at Pinwell. You're doing a lot of uh, paper publications today, very heavily digitalized marketing world. So right now you guys are doing a newsletter. Do you do any other type of publication outside of the newsletter? Or are you guys kind of focus more on that digital publication? In the events, right? Yeah, well, yeah. in the events, obviously. Yeah, yeah, too, yeah. it's funny because you think about that. The events have always been a constant. Mm-hmm. People like to get together yeah. and that doesn't change. It doesn't matter whether it was back then with the boomers today, millennial or Z, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. People love to get together. So events has been kind of the main theme throughout kind of all the these bread communities. And butter, yeah. 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 And the difference is the, the print for me at least is gone and digital is in its place. So no, we don't do anything to, you know, print wise. It's all digital, all newsletter, digital. social webinars, things along those lines. Yeah. And I online and meetups. Let's kind of dig into your demographic a little bit because, you know, even with our podcasts, this digital, digital media and what we see, especially in oil and gas is that a lot of, we've always had this big gap in the workforce and now millennials are starting to take kind of some of these senior level positions in the oil and gas industry. And they're consuming their information from blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, et cetera, newsletters. And, so really interested is what do you see in your user base? One, what kind of what kind of people are you seeing that are interested in the in these drone events, you know, from the oil and gas side? What type of people are you seeing from, you know, if they're from BP, what what type of internal pers- personnel are interested in those technologies? Yeah, it's really evolved. So kind of two questions. So question one is more along the lines I'd say Colin of just the demographics as far as age, typically, you know, obviously the senior decision makers who are running a technology group or an innovation group, you know, they're going to obviously be a little bit older Gen X typically, mm-hmm. whereas in the startup community, it just runs the gamut. Some of these are, you know, ex-engineers or geoscientists who are retired and mm-hmm. they just jump out into startups all the way down to millennial Z. So we kind of see the you know real breadth of it when you're in around digital innovation, as you guys have seen, yeah. and technology. Oh, yeah. And then for the second, as far as drones and robotics, as far as those communities, it started with technology, R&D, digital innovation. Those were by far within the you know oil and gas and engineering firms. Those were by far the drivers. And that's one of the cool things that we've been able to watch over the last couple of years. You see it first with the newsletter subscribers, then you see it second with who's attending your webinars yes. and then and who's coming to, to the events. On your social yeah. channels. <laughs> and then last you see it in, yeah, who comes to the live events. And we're starting to definitely see those in operations now. So we're seeing heads of maintenance, inspection, EH&S, because after obviously coming up on the one-year anniversary of Harvey, there was a lot of energy infrastructure that mm-hmm. was impacted by that. And they mm-hmm. need to be able to check out and inspect a lot of their areas. So not counting the public side of using drones, which was a huge amount, as everybody knows, with insurance was using drones. Emergency responders were using drones to figure yeah. out paths and be able to get folks information. And then within energy, they were flying them in order to check on storage terminals, pipelines, pet chem plants that you couldn't really reach. 
So we start seeing a lot more of the EHS folks, and they're starting to add drones and UAVs to their emergency response plans. So, yeah. yeah. So we're seeing it really broaden as far as the community. And I think that's a big reason for the growth. The adoption rate's growing higher in the life cycle. And then secondarily, you're starting to see more people. And last but not least, now you're starting to see security. So Mm -hmm. people are using a lot of drones to look at the capabilities for either securing and being somewhat of a deterrent or an eye in the sky. And then on the flip side, they're looking at how do I keep drones that shouldn't be entering my space for whatever reason, whether that's something really dangerous and nefarious or just the standpoint of the old industrial espionage. People land a drone, put it on the roof of your building. It's basically grabbing all your stuff. So (laughs) you've got a couple of different reasons now. So that's really broadened. So you guys have a bunch of different conferences that you do. Is the the drones and the robotics the, the largest one? I think it's the largest because it's also our oldest, two years okay. old. Yeah. So, you know, but I mean, maybe it could be based on adoption. But if there's a new innovative technology that's of interest, like, for instance, we have one coming up next year. The newsletter has closer to about 2,000, I think, subscribers right now. It's Industrial VRA, our forum. So okay. it deals with virtual reality, any type of immersive technology and wearables in oil and gas. So, what are you seeing as far as the adoption of that? I mean, I've seen stuff demoed at OTC. I've seen some stuff demoed at, at NAEP. I've been to Accenture's Excellence Place or whatever. We saw some pretty cool stuff that they were doing with an Oculus. I've seen a lot of people playing with technology, like the VR and the AR technology, but I haven't actually seen anybody actually implement it. So what are you seeing from your experience there? Same thing, Jake. So yeah. if you look at it, it's where drones were in our estimation about three to four years ago, where it's primarily those innovation groups, R&D, things like that, who are testing it. And three areas we see it used the most is remote inspection. So obviously that's something that people are are using where you basically can have your very knowledgeable, high-powered baby boomer sitting behind a screen back in a nice air-conditioned office here in Houston. And then there's some field tech who doesn't necessarily have the same level of training or knowledge wearing a pair of AR goggles, can see whatever it is out there in the oil field or the pet chem plant and be able to broadcast that information back for them to make a determination, yeah, we got to replace the pump or no, we're good for, for a little while longer. So remote inspection is where a lot of test cases are being done. Then the second one is training, is there's been a lot of people, particularly in manufacturing, that you've seen it where it's been adopted and warehouses, things along those lines, where line workers, automotive, it speeds the level of training. So if you're able to wear a pair of AR goggles while you're working the line or while you're doing some technical task and have that access of information on your glasses, Mm -hmm. it's speeding up the training time. We've seen that with Realware. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with those guys. When I was was at OTC, there was a cool VR company there, and their whole VR system was based around safety training. And so had a really cool demonstration. You could walk around this offshore platform, and I put them on. I was like, yeah, this is really cool. And I asked them, I said, so how long have you all been in business? They said, a few years. I said, okay, how many how many applications do you have where you're using it? They're like, oh, zero. And, you know, they're based out of Australia. Really, really good guys. But I think the problem with VR, and I'm going to go on the record as saying this, maybe it doesn't age well, I don't know. But I think VR is pretty overrated. I think AR is where we're going to see most of the... Especially uh, these applications, yeah. Yeah, yeah. most and of the applications level, within... No yeah, doubt. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to be able to see. 
Yeah, I mean, right? <laughs> VR, VR is going to work out in the field or yeah. in the chem plant but, or chemical. You know, You've got to be able to see. I, I can see the safety VR. issue about yeah. wearing anything. Can, frankly. Even, even AR. So I, I was out on a rig out in the Gulf of Mexico with a research team from Shell from the Netherlands, and they're running this new tool. And one of the guys out there had uh, Google glasses on. And I was like, why are you wearing Google glasses? And this is like right when I came out. And he's like, well, Shell wants to start testing out a little bit of AR use to see if we can help our field technicians when they're out here. And even with AR, if you know, think if you're on a drilling rig floor and you're wearing these glasses and you have something pop up and, you know, you can't see, like it's still a, a safety issue. But not only that, a, a major barrier is on most of these locations, especially, you know, and you get out in West Texas, you're out in the middle of nowhere and data transmission becomes a major problem. You can't even send a fucking text message out there, much mm. less be live streaming what you're looking at. Yeah. So that's another big bottleneck. It's to- a big issue across all the technology spectrum. A lot of what we talk to the oil and gas companies about is they have issues, whether it's uh, robotic sensors, automation, drones, ARVR needs out there that it is a ton of data, way more than they've been transmitting back and forth. And a lot of these remote locations, whether it's offshore or onshore out in the Permian, it's a big issue. Mm-hmm. Communications is a huge issue. Yeah, and you know, I see, going back to my VR statement, I see it really in a, a training setting being Bingo. good because like I put on those goggles and I was like, man, it's like I'm, it's like I'm offshore. I can climb up this ladder to the crane. It is. So I could really see it being used in, in that type of application, but you can simulate I, a lot of dangerous experiences with VR. Yeah. That, in that well, immersive well, technology, think about like, that you really can't, you know, think about, think about your well control otherwise. school, you know, like Bingo. a lot of well control, you go and you, you're in the simulated drill shack and think about now we can actually throw on a set of goggles and you've got to shut in a well and control the well under pretty stressful conditions and that just helps you kind of simulate that process dallas cowboys were using vr a couple of years ago for their quarterbacks you know having them dodge pass rushers so that's another training application but i think ar is really where we're going to see the biggest amount of value in i think for, for actual sure. use cases yeah i think yeah. vr is definitely good for training out in the yep. field for sure. And then the, I think combined with that is wearables, which we also yeah. cover. Yeah. And obviously what we're talking about is all wearables, whether it's a helmet with a screen or VR goggles or AR glasses. But then you know, other types of sensors, particularly in you know, that safety sense. Yeah. You know, think about for the folks who are doing, you know, tank inspections, things like that. You know, we have a lot of heat. You have a lot of potential chemicals. You know, the ability for them to be able to monitor you know, what is what is the team's, you know, temperature, skin temperature, you know, what is their O2 look like? So as those start to become more sophisticated and then secondary to that in wearables, Ford just ordered like last week or the week before 75 more exoskeletons. So that's a really cool thought process. I, I saw behind, that the other day. Yeah, that could really make yeah. some sense in energy as well. Oh, 100%. So where yeah. it doesn't necessarily, you know, most people think of bionics, you know, some sort of exoskeleton from sci-fi where it makes you super strong or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like a Spider-Man suit or, you know, something like that. But it's a, lot, a lot cooler of, if it was. It reduces <laughs> fatigue, though. So it makes it where at the end of a shift, you're less likely to injure yourself. So it makes it where if you have particularly overhead type scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, just like look rig. at look at working on a rig. You know, I roughnecked for several years and ran wireline and 
the lower back issues that you get from lifting extremely heavy objects in awkward positions is it's, it's a very real threat to everybody. So yeah. it can definitely help. I saw one the other day. It was for, I think it was for more so for maybe even the Ford one for the auto mechanics where instead of them climbing onto a creeper and sliding underneath a truck or whatever it may be, literally it was just like at a tap of a button and they, the exoskeleton just, just laid them down and they were able to like lay on their back. <laughs> That's wild. So they don't have to get up and get down. Right. You know, and they can have tools that are attached on the yeah. side too. So like, like how many times a day they have to do yeah, that I mean, it's a pain. Motion. It's a pain, literally, to, to have yeah. to get up and get down whenever you're working on vehicles all the time. I know from experience. So it's cool to see technology yeah. like that and see how it would be applied to only gas. So too. I think that community is going to be looking at all those things and then starting yeah. to bring them in. But as far as the adoption rate, it's not there yet. It's yeah. still being done as small use cases. And that's why we build these communities. Yeah, for know? sure. Because yeah. there's startups who are coming up with solutions that may be in different industries, related industries, that we need to be introducing to the energy companies. And then there's innovative people at the energy companies who are looking for the solution. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, Jake and I take a very similar approach to what you guys do. And like, look, we need to bridge the gap between the innovators and the companies that will be utilizing that technology. And even, you know, there's an internal blockchain group here in Houston that includes 10 of the biggest oil and gas companies. And they get together once a month to have a forum and say, okay, we've got this new technology sitting here. Now, how the hell do we use it? And, you know, they bring in all their all their internal personnel to try to figure do out. Any, do you have any so, thoughts on blockchain? Yeah, yeah, well, fascinating, and I, it's amazing to me how many different ways it's getting attached back. I mean, initially it was supply chain, financial mm -hmm. transactions, right? Mm -hmm. Gas yeah. trading. Yeah. The first question partner, is always like, do you need trading. a blockchain? I think a lot yeah. of people were trying to take things that were they were trying to replace databases of things that were already decentralized, and then just decentralizing them again. And I right. think we found that through through a lot of different failures and different projects and stuff, I think we found that what people originally thought blockchain was going to be used for is not necessarily what it's actually going to be used for. And so we're still in that kind of like figuring it out period. Yeah. I think or should you use it? Yeah. Right? yeah. Should you I mean, use it in the first cases, place? Yeah. It's like, well, is it really better? Yeah. You know, is it better in this particular use case, you know, or scenario than what you already were doing? Yeah. You know, you know a lot of, a lot of people confuse blockchain applications with just typical databases. I think it makes sense in the public data sector as far as like regulatory data. If you're able to create blockchains for that, it's something that's not necessarily owned by a company. It's not something that's essentially proprietary to yeah, them. We, we talk about this like on the land and title yeah. side and oil and gas. Perfect, makes a lot perfect, of sense. perfect yeah. use case for blockchain. It, you know, it's secure, mm -hmm. right? It also allows some level of anonymity, which yep. is mm -hmm. key. Yeah. You yep. know, people want to have privacy. So the ability to have those things achieved with blockchain yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, it's a, a, good, that's a great good, one. Good use case. But I know I always, with, when we're talking with you guys, I always take things back to drones. I just today <laughs> hey, look, saw I, a case. I wasn't where, playing when I said, yeah, Sean, he's uh, the drone always, guy. <laughs> always take it back to drones. But there's possibility of using blockchain technology around a big issue they have right now with drones with remote ID. The problem they have is that there really isn't a requirement that all UAVs are registered back to the user. So it goes back and forth. If you're flying professionally, you have a 107 license and they know who you are. But the actual drone itself, remote ID could be you know something that you could use blockchain be for. Be use case for that. Yeah, yeah, so there's a possible use case there, but I'll be interested to see if that takes place. I think after what happened in Venezuela with the uh, potential, you know, assassination or incident with drones, I think it's become, you know, continues to ratchet up the idea that yeah. we've got to be able to know who's flying and which drones are. Well, yeah, you people. know, Mac, one of our video guys, we have this conversation a lot about our Mavic Pros. Like, how is this, like, love the Mavic Pro, but how is it legal? Because you can fly that thing way 
out of sight. It may be in your line of sight, but you definitely can't see it. And I mean, you're streaming 4K quality picture right to your iPhone. I mean, you could do some weird stuff with a drone nowadays if you wanted to. And there's got to be some level of tracking drones and their usage. So definitely could see blockchain being used. Blockchain in could be the answer there. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I think we're bullish on blockchain in general, but it's the, we think we still have a long ways to go in, in, in really figuring out what the use cases are and especially on the adoption. Once we do figure it out, there's going to be a huge gap between people actually adopting it for real business cases. Definitely. You know, so, so just the fact that people are thinking about it, though, yeah. in oil and gas, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that there's people who are actually considering and testing some of the it, it's been It's been weird because it seems like there's a quick – adoption of blockchain technology compared to some other things like just with that forum i was talking about that these companies are paying to have this forum and actually hold these discussions now whether they're taking any action on that it's debatable i don't know but at least they're entertaining the idea so got a question for you is innovate energy going to do any blockchain conferences is that in the works we're not going to probably do blockchain. Oh, you know, not ooh. yet. Not yet. Okay. So Go, going against the grain. Yeah. Huh? So, okay. which, you know, you can only cover so many areas <laughs> you know, in a short like, time frame. Drones. I'm focused so, on drones. <laughs> you know, so for us, if you think about, you know, we've got the VRAR yep. wearables. We've got drones and robotics yeah. and AI. So with AI, we start to go down the path of AI machine learning. And then we start to get into RPA, robotic process automation, and intelligent automation. So we've got another kind of sub-community growing there. And then on top of all that, we have our energy innovators, which we have our Energy Innovators Council and our Innovate Energy Leadership Forum, which oh, is really cool. about the digitization roadmap. Yeah. How are you going to get from point A to point B? Yeah. One thing a lot I'm, of questions there. One so. thing I'm really interested about is the wearable technology sector because you have all this wearable technology coming out, but at the same time, you've got this other vertical that's making everything automated. If everything's automated, there's not going to be room for wearable technology because there's going to be nobody to wear that. And I saw this, my cousin, he's a super smart guy, astrophysicist, was working for a startup out of Oklahoma University, and they were making a wearable technology for truck drivers that started predicting a stamina loss and when they were starting to get tired and how they could curb truck accidents, which is a very big deal in the oil business, especially out in areas like West Texas, where, I mean, those roads are some of the most dangerous roads in America right now because truck drivers are working 100, 120 hours a week driving, falling asleep at the wheel. I've seen it firsthand and it's bad. But, you know, you, you look at that and you're like, okay, you, you develop this really cool wearable technology to help truck drivers. But then Elon Musk just release, you know, you, you start seeing the army testing out self-driving semi-trucks. And it's like how automation will win versus wearables. That's that's what I'm saying. So like I see wearables being really useful on a consumer level, like Fitbits, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But especially in oil and gas, when everyone's pushing so hard for automation, it's kind of takes the market away from wearables. So we we think it's going to be like phases, you know, like anything. So imagine right now without wearables, you you basically have all the risk, the safety issues, and you're not getting any of the upside in productivity. Whereas if you add BRAR wearables, et cetera, to the element and start to prove that out, the human's still involved. But at the end of the day, it, you're getting higher productivity, driving down costs, mm-hmm. but more efficiency, and it's safer. So that would be like phase one, right? And then over time, 
eventually, like you have in manufacturing, there's a lot of robotics now that, you know, a lot of the automotive manufacturing, using that example again, is, you know, automated with robots. So you don't have to have as many people. But if you think about also another one of our communities is Workforce Next Energy, which covers all the workforce issues around digital technology and innovation. Oh, cool. Yeah. So will the robots take over? That's a lot of what Workforce Next Energy covers. (laughs) And the thought process is it's going to be a human and robot combination Mm -hmm. for the next, you know, several years. Oh, definitely. Basically, you'll have a combination of the two and you won't have a replacement. And particularly, like I mentioned, this kind of sub-community that's growing around intelligent automation and on RPA, the thought process is initially it will take care of the what you would mostly call grunt work. So there are other things that are dangerous or you know not safe. It'll take care of those things so that a person could do something higher functioning. So they could actually do something that's worth more to the company and yeah, to themselves. Yeah, more valuable doing that, yeah. Bingo. So it, it automates, basically, if you think about AI, you know, whether it's Alexa or Google Home or just anywhere where you're already seeing AI in your daily life, it's basically taking things so you don't have to keep up with the grocery list. You yeah. can go ahead and order stuff for you, things mm-hmm. like that. So you don't have to worry about you know dealing with your remote control anymore. You can go ahead and just tell it to put on whatever movie or song uh-huh. or whatever you want. So in theory... It's making life better or easier. So I think in the energy, we see the same thing, right? Speaking of that, not using a remote. Automation is, it's a a good long-term goal, but but what people don't realize is you have to have the artificial intelligence for that. In order to train that artificial intelligence, you do need the human input during the machine learning phase to train that model on what is actually correct, right? right? And so you cannot eliminate the human component for a significant amount of time until you have pretty much like almost 100% accuracy. It's what, what we've seen with like, you know, self-driving cars, you know, so it's, it, it'll be a little while. So people are not going to be replaced by all the robots in, you know, the next decade. But if we could use driver assist, let's yeah. say, and a lot yeah. of the technologies that they are starting to incorporate, because you're right. I mean, when you get out in the Permian or you get down South Texas and you're looking at, you know, miles driven equals Incidents, yeah. accidents. Yeah. I mean, pretty, so pretty the, direct correlation. So whether you're, it, yeah. you know, flying a UAV to be able to check on things, so you don't have to take a truck and drive all those miles, or whether it's truck has to deliver the sand or water or what have you, the chemicals, or haul them off. But you can do driver's assist and make it where either the truck or the driver wearing technology makes it a little bit easier. I think those phases are going to be kind of the exciting early days. Yeah, and then the the bigger questions are going to be. I don't know. I always say down the road where we'll have to figure out what do you do when X amount of million truck drivers no longer are needed. Yeah. That, 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 that is a big question yeah, because that's no longer them spending their time on highest use. You yeah. actually potentially replace a certain amount of the workforce. And that will be intriguing to yeah. see. We'll just have to take it one step at a time. Right now, it's a help. <laughs> yeah. So is, are there any other technologies? Besides, we talked about a lot. We, we talked about drones and robotics and AI and watching. Is there any other technologies that you're like really excited about or any, I guess on the flip side of that, do you think there's any technologies that are overhyped? Well, I think there's a hype cycle on all of them. I mean, it's a great question because, you know, to a certain degree, you know, take drones. There's a certain amount of times that a drone is, makes perfect sense. And there's a lot of times that frankly, just the old method of a helicopter, you know, or or a small plane flying a right away makes 
you know, actually economic sense as well. And it's just as safe. Yeah. So you got to always, I think, look at, you know, when is the technology, you know, the case we were talking about with BRAR and wearables in some cases. Yeah. I think it could really enhance or speed up and the use cases are showing that in other cases though, it, you know, is it really going to make it that much better or faster than something you could do without it blockchain like we were saying so i think each of these unfortunately has a certain amount of hype cycle oh, for sure. to it and so. that you have to be yeah. careful to vet and that's really what we try to do is make sure we eliminate as much as possible the hype or general parts of what's out there in the news cycle and really try to find those exact use cases and get the economics behind it what was the problem you were trying to solve why did you apply this technology and what were the results? What was the real ROI? How much savings did mm-hmm. you get or safety factor? And that's really what we try to do in each of these communities, whether it's the live events, webinars, or digital, is really drive home that, is there a real reason to use it? And what were the real results? And hopefully by doing that, it increases the adoption cycle and helps the startups refine the solutions they're making and the energy companies get a better idea of why they would adopt this technology or not. But as far as any new ones, we're always keeping our eyes on the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, anything that's coming up, we, we always you know, try to keep an eye on it and, and make sure that we cover it as best as possible. But I think it's going to be actually the 30,000 foot view is one of the most exciting things I think is of interest right now is not the individual technology so much, but what is that roadmap for digitization? How does that actually align with the business strategies from the oil companies? I think helping this new community of digital innovation leaders connect and learn from one another, I'm really excited about that because I feel like this is a new community that hasn't been around very long. There has yeah. not been digital innovation titles, heads yeah. of strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these are brand new positions in these companies. Digital transformation, so specialists. It, there's yeah. a lot going on there, and they've got to cover a lot of ground. Yeah, they so do. our newest launch is our Energy Innovators Council, where we're actually bringing together these folks for the first time to be able to share information, both digitally and face-to-face, because there hasn't really been a club a group Very cool. for yeah. the mm-hmm. energy innovators. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel like is the sentiment amongst those guys? I mean, have you had any preliminary conversations setting this up and, you know, are people optimistic? Are they looking to adopt or is it still in the, Hey, we're figuring this out phase? Yeah. I think most people, it's interesting. I have had a lot of conversations. We were trying to figure out what is the need, you know, yeah. desire for this type of community and group and what are the benefits that they're looking for. And the number one thing that's always interesting to me is none of them, feel like they are the furthest along. They all feel like they're lagging. From what I found, most of them don't want to be the first. <laughs> exactly. That's true. They often don't want to be right at the, the bloody edge. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, I think a lot of folks are, you know, it's interesting to me how they honestly feel like we're, we're not quite where we need to be. And I think that's a sentiment that I hear again and again. Even if some of the things they're talking about, I know in the spectrum of talking to so many other individuals and their peers, mm-hmm. they're actually pretty far out there. Yeah. They're doing a lot of a lot of the things that it would take to be at the leading edge of innovation. So number one, I feel like fa- there's fear of falling behind mm-hmm. uh, or not keeping up or being towards the top of the group. Number two is coming up with real strategies. There's you know a concern there that people get too focused on the individual technologies. And the last is that they're interested in connecting with their peers because it's, like I say, a new group that hasn't really been able to connect before. 
and they want to be able to kind of share best practices and ideas and learn from adjacent industries. So like, for instance, you take blockchain technology, well, financials got a hell of a lot more ground covered on that than energy does. So to be able to take that or exoskeletons from or wearables that might be much larger in the entertainment industry or manufacturing industry, a lot of robotics that's in manufacturing or warehouses, logistics, a whole lot of interest in in taking Mm -hmm. best practices from other industries. But that's the primary areas that I've seen that the energy innovators would like to get more information on. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this is an exciting time. You know, we've seen, you know, we've been talking about this Shark Tank event that we've planning on doing in September sometime. Yeah, I'm stoked um, to see it. Yeah, and and then there's a lot of them. We had a lot of people reach out, especially after the, we did that oil and gas tech funding panel like four months ago now. Yeah. Man, it was just people that we, usually we fill the room with a lot of people that we know and then a lot of people that we don't know, but these are like people that you could definitely tell are like not online. So AKA like 70 plus, you know, investors and stuff. And so it's exciting to see kind of where we're at. You know, I still think that we do need you know, more innovators. We do need more entrepreneurs in this space. And so hopefully, you know, by people telling, like you telling your story and some of the other guys we're having on telling their story can actually, you know, help people make that leap into something that where they, where they've identified there's a huge problem. They understand that, you know, that they can probably build that solution, you know, and bring something to market that's really going to make this huge impact on this industry. What I love about oil and gas is it's kind of like the wild, wild west, you know, from a, from a digital standpoint, we're about 20 years behind every other industry, I like to say. So there's a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs to come in and just completely change the game. And you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to know what's worked in other industries and bring that here and understand the cultural aspect of how you can actually adopt that in this industry and you win right you know and, and that's that's what's enormous exciting. yeah right? it is i mean think you know oil and gas the numbers are so large yeah. i mean they, so they, they're, not, they're typically inflated they're typically inflated in oil and gas it's it's worth a bit more There's the oil industry, and gas so. premium you know yeah for sure so sean it's been great talking to you gotta wrap it up unfortunately where can our listeners find you where can they sign up for the newsletter innovate energy absolutely so they go to innovate which is i n n o v Number eight, okay. innovate.energy. Okay. Okay. So if they well, go there, that's uh, the umbrella for all of our different communities. And we'd love to have the most people possible join up. Very good. We'll drop that in our in our show notes. Can they find you on LinkedIn? Is that a good place sure to reach can. out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn or okay. on Twitter at Sean Gare. Oh, Sean's on Twitter. I got I to gotta follow you. There you I'm go. on Twitter too. <laughs> I've only got like 80 followers, so I'm not very popular You're, you're pretty popular on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks cool. for being Thanks on, for Sean. Me. Appreciate it. Awesome. Cool. 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 Cool.